Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Dublin's Talking Sport. Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, Reg. How are you? Ah, never better, never better. Looking forward. Good to hear your voice. Looking forward to uh, a great weekend of sport. I have the couch booked from about two o'clock today <laughs> to six. I think I'll get it. Maybe you might even get half six out of it. Uh, you know, yeah. Looking forward to some crap. I bet you're looking forward on. to the rugby, eh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rugby. I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, but there's lots of stuff. Yeah, going and particularly on. on the on the back of uh, on last week's. I mean, uh, that was just an amazing. Victory for Ireland, wasn't it, in France last week? What a what a result! Unbelievable, yeah, and not one that you would probably think uh, was likely to happen. Um, mm. Certainly, a lot of people felt going to France after the World Cup with a few new faces we would suffer <laughs> yeah. a little bit but I tell you what that team they're just including including you Reg including, including you. me absolutely oh, I'm the first to put my hand up and say that I felt that this was a, a bridge too far to go over there in the first game back they probably needed a little bit more time but this team and these players they just never cease to amaze me in the way yeah. that they go yeah. about their business and get things done and it wasn't just a case Ken that they beat France they hammered them they absolutely they hammered, hammered them, them, yeah. You know, so uh, they hammered them, uh, absolutely, yeah. And it was a fantastic, uh, a fantastic, uh, you know, match. Just the way they played, you know, unbelievable. And particularly the record in France has not been good over the years. I think it's only their fourth or fifth time that they actually beaten France on home soil. So. Yeah, I mean, that makes the achievement even better, you know? Tell me about it, Ken. Tell me about it. <laughs> I never <laughs> got that feat, though, I have to admit. You never? Never? <laughs> no, never won, never beat them in France. No, too too difficult yeah. a job to do. Um, I was yeah. injured in 2000 when Brian O'Driscoll scored those two tries. Uh, okay. And that was kind of the uh, a big game where we did beat them. And that was the first, I, th- I don't know I know how yeah. many years, that was the first time. Um, I lost by two points in 98 and uh, 2000 six we lost as well so yeah. never beaten them in France no, so, um, wow wow yeah. I tell you it's a, it's a well, tough place to go and try and get a victory a place to, to especially go. down south where they went to Marseille that was a, a yeah, really yeah, yeah. result I remember you telling me the story where you, you were all on the bus going you going to the into the middle of Paris you know for the matches like it used to be incredible you know with the stream of people lining the streets as you wait waiting for the buses to come in like you know oh the best part was the uh, gendarme the police outriders the gendarme know. yeah exactly you know, yeah, we would the police be staying escort. maybe 10 miles outside the, the from the stadium and uh about eight motor, big motorbikes and the gendarme cops would pull in uh, on the way to the game, the morning of the game, and they'd, yeah. they'd, they'd flank yeah. the, the bus and there'd be two in front, two behind, two each, two each side. And they were, it was, watching this operation was just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. You'd see, I used to sit yeah, up in the front yeah. of the bus and watch this going on because <laughs> they would literally be going through the streets of Paris, which was packed, jammed full of cars, jammed, and they would mm. be 
uh, zooming ahead at 100 miles an hour on these bikes, weaving in and out of traffic, and they would literally be kicking the doors of cars to get them to move over to the side. To get, to the bus never changed yeah, yeah, speed. Yeah. The driver literally put it at whatever, I don't know, 80, 100 kilometres an hour and just set the thing, and he never had to brake once. <laughs> these lads were just clearing wow, the streets wow, of Paris. Wow. Yeah, it was phenomenal yeah, yeah. to watch. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, I, remember, I, I remember actually after one of the matches... Um, yeah, yeah, Mick Galway and Peter Clausey. So we'd finished the game, whatever. We came back to the hotel, and uh, you know the dinner was about to start or whatever. And um, yeah. the uh, the cops had, had come back, and they were just parking up the bikes outside. And uh, Claw turns around to one of them and says, "Give us a spin on that old bike, there, will you?" And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the policeman looked at him and said, "You want to go?" He says, "Yeah, yeah." He handed him a helmet and put uh, Clausey up on the back of the bike. I don't think this would happen nowadays, Ken for insurance no reasons but uh, no, he put Clausey up behind him and the two of them headed off and this uh, gendarme took off through the streets of Paris at about 200 miles an hour with Clausey on the back <laughs> and, and weaved in and out of all the traffic and everything else and, uh, and he was still in his gear he's still in his gear from the match no. and he arrived yeah, back at the hotel and Clausey was green and I think he had to go up and lie down for a while so <laughs> nobody asked again after that Different times before the match. Different times, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different times. Anyway, uh, what else is going on mm. in the world of snooker this week? Uh, the Welsh Open starts on Monday up in uh, Clan Dudnow, North Wales, right along the coast. Um, and then we have the um, Players Championship, which starts the following week. That'll be on ITV. So two tournaments back to back and then we're back yeah, for Goffs uh, at the beginning of March and then of course the Saudi tournament so pretty busy over the next few weeks Reg, yeah. The Saudi tournament um, what's that is this are we likely to see uh, live money coming into snooker is that what you're telling me? What's that? Are we money going to see live to levels yeah. of money it's, it's coming into live. snooker? Are no, you going to be live. not talking it's, to us anymore? No I, <laughs> no, I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, there's going to be a tournament in Saudi and Riyadh uh, in the first week of March. It's a, a new event. Uh, they're hoping to, uh, in fact, I think they have already, but they haven't announced it yet. They're going to have a ranking tournament there later on uh, for the new season, which will begin in, uh, I think, August time. Okay. Uh, but this tournament is just an invitation out the top eight and uh, four wild cards and uh, yeah it's quite you know there's a million dollars of prize money for uh, eight for the 12 players and they're introducing a golden ball so if someone makes a 147 they're going to put a golden oh, ball yeah, on the table right. nobody knows nobody knows where the golden ball is going to go uh, so it could be and the golden ball will be worth 20 points so it's a bit gimmicky to be honest you know what I mean if somebody mm. gets to the stage of making a 147 uh, they could possibly make a one six seven with the golden ball, but uh, yeah, but it's still it'll be a good tournament to you know for the tour eventually, you know, particularly for the rest of the players down the rankings, uh, there'll be more money in the game, and uh, yeah, I've never been to Saudi, so uh, I'm going to do a bit of punditry over there. Brilliant. Okay, that'll be interesting. No question about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. That's an odd one, all right. Just so, uh, at what stage of the break do they decide that it's? They need to put the ball in, and it could happen. Like, I think that I, I think when they're on the black, you know, for the uh, on one forty, oh, the final black. They uh, bef- before they put the before they put the black, they right. put the the golden ball on the table somewhere. Nobody knows exactly where yet. Wow. Uh, it'll probably be up in the bulk area, I would say. 
and uh, so it'll be quite interesting if should should somebody get to that stage. But I'm sure there'll be huge prize money on offer for it to get the the golden ball, you know, in the one six seven like. So it'll be quite a big incentive for the players to to have a go at it, you know. Mm, absolutely okay. And I, I think it's a big. So Ronnie, Ronnie might be trying. He might be trying for the one four seven. Yeah, you never know. I saw you had a conversation yeah, yeah. with Stephen Hendry there um, during the week. The two of them had a bit of an interview thing and, uh, you know, discussing again as he's very open about the, the mental health issues and um, yeah. both of them agreeing that, yeah, it's it's it can be very, very hard uh, in that world. Yeah, very, very tough. I mean, he suffered from it for, for a long, a long, long time, you know. And that new documentary, mm. uh, you know, that's out, it's on Amazon. I haven't seen clips but I haven't actually seen the full version of it yet no, but it, it's, it, yeah. I think it shows yeah you I mean you you know what's what it's all about but it shows exactly what he's sort of going through even in matches and stuff like that in the dressing room before matches how he struggles with his mental health you know so he's come quite open about it some of the other players have done so as well but him him being sort of he was the first one of all the snooker players to really sort of come clean about the problems that he's had but he's had he's had great help from um, you know the sports psychiatrist said uh, Steve Peters who's helped him quite a lot over yeah. the years so he, told, he said that he saved his life really you know so uh, yeah he's well documented and to be able to play at that level yeah with that still with all those problems as well it, it's quite remarkable absolutely okay well mm. uh, hopefully he'll get through it and everything will be okay yeah. so when do you head off to Saudi? Uh, it's not till uh, the first week of March right okay. so off to, to North, uh, North, North Wales uh, for, for, for Monday and then the and uh, or the players, sorry, in Telford. That's the following week on ITV. So BBC Wales and an ITV. Yeah. Busy. Stuff. But I'll be watching the rugby, don't be worried. Okay, it's the biggest event always in the States. It stops uh, everything <laughs> that goes on over there. It is, of course, the Super Bowl, and I'm delighted to be joined by Stephen O'Brien to talk about it. We finally got here, Steve. It's the Chiefs versus the Niners. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday happens tomorrow. Are you all excited? It's the big one. It's the big one, Rich. But here, I'm, I take exception now. Are you not saying that this is the biggest sporting event in the world, Reg? Is this not the greatest show on turf? Yeah, it yeah. depends much, on who you listen to, isn't it? It's, it's much bigger it's, than the Olympics and the Soccer World Cup and uh, things that actually involve the world. Than, You're yeah. dead right. Yeah, it is the biggest yeah, thing. If in you the exclude world in all America. of those. It's the biggest one, yeah. And whoever wins this are world champions, right? Oh, yeah, you know world champions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah, no, it is a good one, though. There's no question about it. It does capture the imagination of everybody. And uh, young and old, they'll be sitting up well into the wee hours tomorrow um, to have a look at this. Uh, how do you see it going? Oh, the, the million-dollar question. Look, it's it's amazing, really. Well, the thing is, we can't forget about the fanfare. We cannot go ahead with game predictions if you don't talk about the most important thing. Reg, which is the halftime show, all right? Yeah. And we know you're a massive Usher fan. He's an eight-time Grammy winner, and you never stop talking about Usher, so he'll be coming on. Look, it's just, it, I, it's against the Chiefs and the Niners, and the Chiefs sort of started off the season fairly rocky, but they've got so many fans around the world now because they're just a really exciting team to watch. And we thought after Tom Brady had departed from New England and Bill Belichick was put out to pasture, you know, that there's the dynasty that wasn't supposed to happen is now put to bed and there's no one can do this again because we all know the NFL reg has done off, you know, the worst team of last year gets the first pick in the draft. So it tries to level it out. But here we are again this year talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and 
Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and they've built another dynasty. And in fact, you know, Patrick Mahomes has won the Super Bowl twice. And they're the underdogs in this game, by the way, coming up against the Niners, which I find hard to believe. Um, but, you know, he's trying to win his third ring, and there's only a handful of players that have done it. Uh, they're trying to win back-to-back Super Bowls, which is, again, only a handful of teams have ever done it. Um, so there's so many talking points between all the fanfare and the actual game. But, you know, the Niners in this game, as I say, they, they come in as favourites, Reg. And the reason they do that is because they just got so much firepower. You know, Christian McCaffrey, the running back, is indestructible. He's ridiculous. Debo Samuel, a wide receiver. Again, he's like a massive wide receiver. He's almost a running back, by the way. He goes on their tight end um, as well, like one of the best in the game. The only weak point for them, I think, for the Niners comes down to, and maybe it's not so much a weak point, is Brock Purdy, their quarterback. So he was Mr. Irrelevant, is what they call him. He was the last player drafted in his draft class. He wasn't expected to go on and do anything. But they went on and, and sort of achieved this unbelievable success. But Red, I've been on the radio the last couple of weeks talking about the Niners. They were nearly beaten by the Packers. The Packers were seven seeds. They, they were nearly beaten by the Lions. They came back to win that game, but not based off their own merit, right? Although they were involved. Uh, you know, the Lions kind of threw that game away. And I think that if the Chiefs end up going up early in the game, I think they can put it out of reach of the Niners because the Niners are a run-first team. And they've got an unbelievable defense as well. But look, the game starts at half 11. Uh, it's free to air on TV. Uh, you'll have to stay up till about half three in the morning to finish watching it. But it will be a cracker of a game because what both of these teams, Reg, have in common is they do not know when they're beaten. They can go down a million bajillion points mm. and they'll come back and try claw back again. So, it, you know, we really are coming up against two teams with playmakers all over the field, including Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely, and where, where, uh, what would the capacity of the stadium be? Where is it on? And I mean, always we're talking about, um, you know, the, the the price of the tickets. I don't think people fully appreciate just how much it costs to go to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, look, because there's scalpers as well. Look, what's funny about it is, and, and pulling out the sort of price element, Taylor Swift was asked to be the halftime show performance person. Um, and she turned it down because she said that what would end up happening was is that because it's so expensive anyway, that what she'll get is she'll get Swifties and Taylor Swift fans wanting to go to the Super Bowl just to see her performance, mm. which is only 13 minutes, by the way. Yeah. So that would have pushed the price of tickets up even more. It's in the Allegiant Stadium. It's where the Raiders play. In Unbelievable Vegas. venue in Las Vegas of all places, Reg. I mean, the stadium itself cost 1.9 billion. Wow. But to go to this game, I mean, you're talking 20 grand a ticket for an ordinary punter, and there's oh very few God. tickets for ordinary punters because they what the NFL want is they want the who's who of everybody to come. So they the most of the tickets are actually reserved for celebrities. So it's a weird atmosphere in the stadium because it's not your fan experience, you know, and it's in a neutral zone anyway because it's not played with the Chiefs or the Niners home crowd. But there's very few normal punters there. So it's always on people's bucket list to go over because it's that expensive. Now you can get it cheaper if you're savvy enough. But yeah, once you start getting closer to the game and you really want to go, you'll pay out the year for it. And then on top of that, the fact that you're in Las Vegas, which is the greatest expensive place in the world anyway, um, you know, it really pushes it beyond the reach of, of the vast majority of people. You'd have to question that philosophy from the NFL you know it's not a very inclusive game when you start to look at those types of figures I mean that's just ridiculous amounts of money Um, they're not very fan based 
No. Yeah. And that's the thing. You'd, you'd expect a final and you look at football and you think, yeah, it's just all the sort of massive football fans want to get in. It's not a stadium in the World Cup final. Yeah. It's just full of celebrities. They're there and they're on camera, but it's it's more about the sport. But to look, right, everything about the NFL is money. I mean, why they came over to the UK and the games that they brought, you know, over to London and all that is all about money. But it, it look, what's the most celebrated thing outside of the actual football and the celeb part of it all? It's the adverts. Yeah. And the adverts set you back seven million for a 30-second segment. That's $233,000 per second wow. for the adverts. And they released them early and they tried to get, you know, drum a pipe for an advert, Reg, which is selling Pringles. You know yeah, what I mean? It's I just, know. it's part of the fanfare. But look, I mean, the real viewing experience is those of us at home. You know, the there's massive crowds that tune in. It's about 115 million people in the States that tune in, about 200 million plus worldwide. It's over 130 countries, 30 different languages, two-thirds of the U.S. population watch the Super Bowl every year. Um, and they can't even track it properly now, Reg, because there's so many people, you know, Stream dialing in on streams boxes. and, yeah. yeah, dodgy boxes, illegal streams. So yeah. there's likely more. Yeah. So it it's is. just the biggest spectacle is outside, you know. Okay, well, give me your prediction. What way do you see it going? Well, I think that... Oh, I, t- I can't look past the Chiefs. The Chiefs have the second best defence um, in the NFL. They're going up against the Niners. Um, I like a story that goes the way it should go, right? When Leicester City won the Premier League, that annoyed the hell out of me, right? Because And people love an underdog story. And it'd be great to look at this, Reg, and go, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy for the Niners with his cast of superstars went and took down the Chiefs. But I'm going Chiefs in this game. I think that there's been massive fanfare this week. Leading up to it, there's been interviews coming out of everybody's earballs. So I think that, you know, the Chiefs have been here before they've done it and they're setting up a new dynasty. And I can't look past Patrick Mahomes, even if he's down heavy, to come back and win this game. So I think they'll lift the Lombardi Trophy again this year. And what odds are you giving that in uh, almost Hunger Games style that we're going to see a proposal and the Swifties going wild? Oh, oh no! If that happens, just the, all the internet will just just blow up. Be the perfect and, uh, setup for it, though, wouldn't it, Stephen? All the talk, all the hype, all the I know. You know everything and imagine the this point, and you see it bend the knee, win the win the trophy. <laughs> Rich, I haven't even thought about it. Now you've brought that into my head. Scriptwriter. Okay, it's rugby time now. It's been a pretty hectic start to the Six Nations. Uh, All teams going out last week and performing to their ability and Ireland performing better than most. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the one and only Will Slattery of the Left Wing Podcast and the Irish Independent, of course. Morning, Will. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Reggie. Well... I got it wrong last week. Didn't see that coming. I have to say, this team, they still continue to impress me over and over again. What a performance that was against France. I don't think you're the only one who got it wrong, to be fair. I think a lot of people fancy France on home soil to have a big bounce back performance after the World Cup disappointment. You know, people, I think, were you know, hopeful that Ireland could go over there, maybe get a result, but at the very least, you know, be competitive and look good and turn the page. But God, they did a lot more than that. Like the most, arguably the most impressive performance in the Andy Farrell reign, which is saying a lot considering the highs it's hit, hit at times. And it's just a perfect kind of 
Paige Turner from the World Cup. Obviously, there's still issues from that that will be interrogated over time and over the years as we approach the next one, but that's a long way away. In the here and now, it sets the team up brilliantly for a Grand Slam, and now going into this weekend, it's the French who have all these question marks all of a sudden about what direction they're going in, the grip Fabian Galte has in the team and all, and all those kind of things, but you couldn't have asked for a better start to the Six Nations, and in particular for the young players who came in, Jack Crowley, Calvin Nash, Joe McCarthy, some of them, like Jack Crowley, maybe had a couple of issues, but ultimately ironed them out as the game wore on, and now they go into this weekend getting another chance to start and really build on last weekend. They're in a perfect position. Yeah, I saw a few people during the week uh, sort of criticising Jack Crowley, and I, I found that hard to, to stomach because, as you said, first you know, game in a big stage, not the first game, but you know, like in the big stage that have been thrown in, having to start, all the pressure that comes with it, young out half, uh, still finding his feet somewhat. Um, there was a couple of errors, but in general, I thought he performed brilliantly in the match. Yeah, I think you need to understand the context of that. Like, he's coming in, it's obviously he's played whatever for five or six games before this, but it was his first Six Nations start. France away, it does not get any more difficult. And yeah, like the first half was a mixed bag. He missed the kick in front of the post. He was charged down. He had a real advised grubber that was, you know, went out of play and was never really on. He kicked out on the full. Like, there, that's a, a number of key mistakes. But what impressed me was that it didn't kind of shake him off his game really like he actually grew into it more in the second half he didn't try to be the hero he just kicked those impressive kicks from the touchline he just led the team around the pitch like at club level you know we saw him maybe play away to Toulon where he'd pull out the box of tricks and maybe they Munster need him to do that but like at Ireland level he's playing alongside the best players in the world he doesn't need to be you know, Superman for Ireland to be very successful. He just needs to play his game, lead the team well, kick his goals. And as time goes on, obviously, I'm not saying he shouldn't be trying things or bringing his personality, on-pitch personality to the fore, but in the here and now, it's it, this team is so, it has so much quality that like he doesn't have to step up and make Herculean plays um, for, for them to be successful. Like, And I think, like, I'm really interested to see, like, say, the Twickenham game is obviously the pivotal game remaining in the, in the, in the competition now like how he manages that away there like that's another really tricky game like will he have ironed out some of the mistakes uh, from last weekend I think he probably will have because he seems to be a very quick learner like he, he's getting better every day so I can see why people were pointing out some of the mistakes because ultimately I know it was his first cap but he's an international player this is big boy rugby like we're meant to be looking at these games kind of objectively and coldly like if it was Johnny Sexton making those mistakes people would be questioning you know some of his decision making and stuff like that and also when Johnny Sexton started his Ireland career it was a mixed bag as well. He didn't hit the ground running as the Johnny Sexton. We know he kind of lost his pace around Nogara and he had some mixed performances. So it does take time to grow into the international jersey and I think it was a really good start in the round for Jack Crowley. Yeah, I thought it was amazing the way the other players rallied around him as well though, you know. Uh, I thought that it was a, a, an amazing team performance. Um, I, I will qualify by saying that France were very poor by their standards. They made um, mistakes I didn't expect. And also, which is interesting, um, I felt their fitness was poor. I thought the French, did uh, they ran out of steam very quickly. Those big forwards didn't have a whole lot to offer once uh, our lads were running them around the place. And I, I felt that their attitude and their heads dropped quite uh, substantially. 
Yeah, it didn't help obviously to Paul Willems, uh, you know, yes, got on the wrong side of the referee. Obviously, they felt a long period playing with 14 men, but I agree with you. I was really surprised with how awful they were because going into the game, like, you know, having watched a lot of Champions Cup, like, I thought that the guys who they had picked for the most part were like really humming at club level. Like, Toulouse have been playing, and we've, t- we've talked about Toulouse loads on this show. They've been the cream of Europe thus far. Like, so a lot of, and Bordeaux, like, similarly have been really impressive. But there was, there was I just don't already, really, really understand what happened. Like, it kind of, it's funny, like, so. There's a lot talked about like the Irish environment and what Andy Farrell is getting out of these players. And like one group of players went into this match in good form. I'd say arguably better form than the other, the French. And one group of players completely rose above themselves, I thought, last Friday, and that was the Irish. So the questions have to go to Fabian Galtier and what the environment was like in the run-up to the game. Like, there's been some turnover of coaches since the World Cup. He's brought in a new attack coach. I think he's brought in a new forwards coach as well. And I don't know how popular these appointments have been, like, you know, in terms of the French rugby public, if they think they're the best people for the job. You know, there was a massive backlash after the game. You know, I was reading a couple of, you know, Reports that have been translated into English, but like Philip San Andre was one person saying that you know Galtier maybe had rearranged the coaching staff and got people who were more kind of less likely to, or sorry less likely to challenge him. So I I point the finger at the, at, at Galtier a little bit because it's unfathomable to me to me how poor they were and how off the pace they were and how like soft their defence were. Like the Irish forwards were just making like meter after meter in in, in the tight exchanges, which we never really see against a big French team. So also I'm so fascinated to see how they bounce back today against Scotland because it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were beaten today Like I think that was such a chastening experience at home last weekend that to bounce back from that in, in like a week and have to go to Murrayfield where it's not like their record in Murrayfield under Galtier has not been very good they've lost I think at least once or I think if not twice there. so it's a massive game for them today this, this Six Nations and Galtier's potential grip on the team could potentially unravel which sounds a little like drastic considering where they were very recently but that's that's where I think we're at Yeah I couldn't agree with you more I mean you're talking about a Scottish team that um I don't know what happened to them last week, I'll be honest with you, 27 nil, <laughs> and then allow Wales to come back into the game and you could see it starting to crumble again, yellow cards being a factor in the game. Uh, but I still feel that Scotland at home, um, I, I think they'll be more... In, you know, copped on maybe they won't be that naive in in this game uh, to allow the French back into it. They'll play for the full eighty minutes. Uh, they're a tough, you know, they're a tough opposition to beat at home. And um, I I just feel you, you you could be right, but then there's always that chance that this could be the classic French bounce back where they go out and play the rugby that you dream of and destroy Scotland too. Yeah, I actually do. I agree with all that. I find it a very difficult game to call. Like, it, it's funny when you're looking at the Scotland Wales game and, and trying to interpret it for this weekend. Like, if you're t- if you're putting kind of a positive spin on it, like, you know, had they had at least they can fix their issues after a victory. It's not like their tournament has been derailed by that defeat and potentially again Gregor Townsend's reign if they end up losing that game. They're going into the game at least with a win on the board, and like they did show a bit of resilience to dig it out at the end. Like there was still ten minutes to go and Wales were all over them, and Scotland did kind of see out the, the remaining few minutes with a little bit of kind of nous and control and character. So I give them a small bit of credit for that. Obviously, the thirty minutes preceding that were disastrous. I, I think it could be a, a kick up the kind of the backside and a bit of a galvanizing factor for them this weekend. I don't think, even though they would have been downbeat after throwing away a big lead, I think ultimately they'll go into it being like, we got a big scare there. We know we have to play for the 80 minutes. 
but at the same time, as you said, the French team is still so packed full of quality that you could see a scenario where they come out and just absolutely blitz them. But I think it's more likely that Scotland actually get up for this game today. I think France, something about it, they were so listless last weekend that I struggle to see them being that all-world beating, all-concrete team. I don't know, they could still definitely win today, but I don't see them just going out and rolling Scotland and, and, and like kind of putting them to the sword. I think this will be a really good game. Now it's time for the community club scene. Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Comishoon the Man, with the television licence fee on Sunshine 106.8. Absolutely, and it's our weekly slot where we talk to a member of a community club that's doing wonderful work in their area and find out a little bit more about how that club works and what makes it tick. I'm delighted to be joined uh, here in studio by Gráinne Ryan, executive member of Nefina GA Club, uh, to chat about all things uh, and the role of the club in the local community. Gráinne, you're very welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Reggie. <laughs> Great to have you in. Yeah, I mean, Nefina, what a wonderful... I mean, the, even the, the name Nefina strikes fear into a lot of other clubs around the uh, capital and around the country, indeed. Um, such a, 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 an iconic club in GA circles and going from strength to strength at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I suppose going back to the the history of the club, uh, we were founded in 1955 and we had 201 members then and it was it was founded really because there was a gang of boys leaving minor when they're playing with CJ Kickhams and they wanted to play adults so they said right we're going to found our own club and I suppose they called it Nafina because it can't be translated to English mm. it means warrior um things like that so and now 70 years later we're going from strength to strength as you said we've more than 3900 members at last count our newest little member um Charlie Moran being born there during the week. So uh, it's great. He's a jersey already anyway. Yeah, born wearing a jersey probably. Born, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And a hurl in his hand. 3,900 members. That's quite incredible. Um, huge management in a club of that size, I'd imagine. I, yeah. I know you've got uh, 15 locations spanning across 55 acres. Um, and as you said, 3,900 members. There must be a, a huge administration and a mem- part of the membership and running of the the whole organisation. There is, yeah. We have a big executive. I suppose we have 12 members, I think. Mm. Um, and everybody has different roles. There's, I'd say I'm in about 25 different WhatsApp groups <laughs> as well. Uh, we've working groups for everything. We've more than 40 members of our facilities committee. Like you said, it takes a lot of a lot of maintaining for all our facilities and cutting the grass morning, noon and night. Yeah. Um, things like that just making sure everything is running well and then we've got as well like the games side of things but we've also got lots of different um activities within the club we have um we have a green green committee as well that are we're kind of we're trying to plant a pocket forest now and look through all our recycling and things like that mm. um so again, the club, uh, as part of the community, getting involved in all aspects yeah. of it. I suppose um, you, you mentioned at the very beginning there how this was, Nafina were founded on the back of the fact that there's a group of boys that wanted to branch out and they were, they were leaving. So they they got together and set it up. But it's certainly not boys now, the diversity involved in clubs. So 
the inclusion of girls and the expansion of the club on the back of that must have added a lot of pressure too to try and yeah. find playing spaces. And Absolutely. So I suppose in the field we've hurling, camogie, football, ladies football, handball and rounders. Wow. So we're very lucky to have so many different codes within the GAA. Mm. Um, and I think when you kind of hear the history of the club, we were such, the founding members were so inclusive they were so ahead of their time in 1969 when Greta Gray and Sean Clerken founded Camogie we were one of the first clubs to have equal membership rights for men and women mm. and it's like you say behind every uh, good man is a, a good woman as well like yeah. so we have all our founding members but all their wives and their families behind them as well um, and then in 1989 we had the ladies football began in the club as well and we are the one club model. Right. Like everybody says, it's all, it's been in the, the media recently, things mm. like that. So we try our very best to, for equality and like that, our under eights, I think it is, have a hundred girls who finished nursery last year. And I think the nursery, which has over 500 kids in it, yeah. this morning now on, the, uh, on Movie Road, it's 51% female to 49% male at the last count, I think. And I I must admit, you know, uh, I think the LGFA, the work that's gone on in that, and we've spoken about it many times on this show, uh, putting um, GAA front and centre in front of girls, uh, the reaction to that is, is phenomenal. And like, pretty much filling Croke Park for, for the ladies finals as well yeah. uh, you know well, maybe not filling it but not far off and it's gone up a lot over the last number of years that, I'm not surprised at that 51% figure is what I'm saying I mean there's there's huge interest from the girls and you mentioned the nursery as well of course that was kind of one of its kind early in the early 90s probably one of the first clubs if not the first club to establish a nursery yeah I think so I was talking to my dad about it last night and he was saying in 1990 the first nursery was found, I think it was football, and then 1991, it was football and hurling. And speaking of the nursery, the, uh, when our senior hurlers won the county final there in October, mm. um, all bar two of the panel came through our nursery. Amazing. So it's it's brilliant to see, and it shows that our, our club is a lifelong thing it's, it's not it's yeah. not a flash in the pan and yeah as you say it's working yeah no um, that's amazing you played a little bit yourself I know you're going to be modest but you played a lot of camogie yourself I did now I'll tell you this when I was grow when I was a, a brat of a of a toddler I said I'm never playing hurling I'm never <laughs> I'm never doing anything and then sure one day dad mom was gone away for the weekend dad yeah. brought me down to the nursery and left me there yeah. Give me a hurl, put on no a helmet. I had no choice. Yeah. I didn't know where to go. So like that, you're kind of, you're born into it. Well, I was born into it anyway when mum and dad met in the club. Yeah. So um, I was born into it. And then, yeah, I suppose I progressed and played up through the levels and then went to adult and then played with Dublin for a while as well and now I'm I'm making my way back down from the senior team down to the second team yeah, <laughs> as well, I'm getting slower and the girls I've trained are passing me by. <laughs> yeah well you, that, that transition yeah. is part of the whole yeah, gig so, and you're yeah. still there. I'm still there, I'm still with the minor camogie team yeah. uh, this year and there's a couple of other things I'm involved with the GA for all mm-hmm. as well so children with additional needs we have training session for them every Saturday and um, so like that that's going from strength to strength and it's actually my favourite part of the week as well. Yeah, yeah, you get, you get real satisfaction out of yeah. that. Okay, for anyone listening, if they would be interested in joining, is it still possible to uh, join the club? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're open to 
open, always open for new members. So we have a website. It's www.clgnafina.com. We're on Instagram, CLG underscore Nafina, and Facebook as well, CLG Nafina. Brilliant stuff. Agronia, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time and coming in and talking to us here uh, this morning uh, in our club spot. And it was wonderful chatting to you. And um, yeah, you yeah, know, you were worried about maybe filling in the eight minutes. No bother. Yeah, I've loads more to say, but that, <laughs> that's great. Thanks so time much, goes quickly <laughs> on live radio. Wonderful chatting to you and take care and we'll talk again. Thanks. Dublin Sporting Communities, funded by Comishoon the Man with the television license fee on Sunshine 106.8. Absolutely great talking to Gráinne there, Nafina. As I said, wonderful club on the north side. Uh, 3,900 members, absolutely astounding to think that there are that many members. Must be a difficult one to manage. Sean, you're... uh well, well, you know, Nafina, well yourself, of course, over the years, having to come up against them and play against them and the cracking club, but uh, there's plenty going on in GAA this week. Uh, hurling, of course, being the big one. Uh, it's going to be a, a busy one. Um, we have a fantastic game to look forward to with uh, Cork and Kilkenny this evening. Yeah, and I was listening to you earlier with, with Ken Doherty of the television books for the, the rugby for the afternoon. I'll be watching that myself, but certainly the, the Cork-Kilkenny game, I think it'll be a brilliant game, Reggie, from, from from a couple of perspectives, uh, ne- neither team uh, won last weekend, so that's uh, you know Derek Ling and and Pat Ryan are going to want to put that right. We just briefly touched on the new system where the top three in each one A and one B will will stay in the top tier next year. So you know Derek Ling won't want to lose this game and and find himself having to win a game or two near the end to stay in in that. Uh, Kilkenny drew the last day two sixteen apiece with 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 uh, Wexford. They went a goal up um, uh, very near the end. Uh, Billy Drennan came off the bench and he actually scored two penalties. Um, but Kilkenny had a very experimental team, but they still had Adrian Mullen and uh, own. Cody and, and Richie Power from Ballyhale and um, Owen Murphy in goal but you know they'll really be trying very hard today as I said they don't want to finish up in a relegation kind of scrap at the end I have to say from a Cork point of view Reggie I was disappointed um, I, I thought Cork played okay I didn't think they were brilliant they scored 219 the last day against Clare but conceded 125 I was disappointed from the point of view that Patrick Horgan was still their main guy up front along with Conor Lahan and Shane Kingston. They didn't unearth after winning the two under 20 All-Irelands. I didn't see anything new. Robbie O'Flynn was there, fair enough. Um, but look, at, at the end of the day, uh, Cork will definitely need to, to get two points here. I think it'll be a cracker. I think both teams will be trying really, really hard. And if we're to make a prediction, either team will win this by a point, Reggie. And that's probably a sitting as big, as big a fence as you... Either team will win. <laughs> By a point, I said. I think it'll be a very, very close game, Reggie. Oh, fair enough. And you're not saying who you think is going to win it. That's grand. Okay. Well, look, in the other key game uh, in Division 1A tomorrow, it's Waterford against Clare. You mentioned them there, Clare, earlier on, uh, conceding a few. How do you see that one go? Yeah, I, I firstly take uh, Clare. I, I actually thought it was Brian Lone's fourth year in charge, Reggie, but it's his fifth year. So. They've been very, very close, as you know, Reggie, to Limerick over the last couple of years. They they drew with them in a Munster final and lost the replay. They they beat them last year in the round robin. I, I kind of didn't do themselves justice when they came to Crow Park. They were well beat one year by Kilkenny and okay, they were beaten. Uh, I'd say a couple of points last year. There was a fantastic save by Owen Murphy at the end to put it off the post. But uh, they probably should have won that game as well. So you know they'll want to do something well. If I looked at all the matches and I did last weekend, I would have thought Clare and Tip were the two. Uh, top teams and and probably will 
you know, really want to win some silverware when you're five years in charge, Reggie, you know, being second all the time is, isn't really good enough. Having said that, on the other side... Davy Fitz is definitely trying some new things out. I saw his team last week. He he had a good comprehensive uh, win over Offaly, 320 to 17 points. Probably a result that you'd expect. But I, I did look at his team and, OK, there was a lot of new new people there, but he still had Callum Lyons at centre-back. He had Conor Prunty at full-back and, and he had Stephen Bennett up front. So he's had a few defections, but there's still a solid team there. But on the day, Reggie, I, I just think Clare will just have a little bit too much. And, of course, you have the old rivalry there between Brian Lohan and Davy as well on the sideline but that seems to have tapered off a little bit but I, I'd fancy Clare in that game to get across the, the line I think that sideline battle might be as interesting as the match itself to see see who which one cracks first Yeah, I, I, I was on a, a UCD line once against I think Davy and LIT and believe me they, they could be terribly exciting yeah, <laughs> No, there'll be plenty watching that OK um, Dublin they were poor last week against Tipperary Um and it's not going to get any easier. They have a tough assignment tomorrow away to Antrim. Yeah, and and look at is it come? You know, you'd love to have these games at home, the ones that you kind of half expect to win. Uh, Dublin got a lot of criticism last week. Um, you know, people forget that there there were there were six games, so there were six losers last weekend. Okay, of Wexford and Kilkenny drew, but uh, they got a lot of criticism on, on, on Sunday night on TV as well, which I wasn't terribly happy about. They did score twenty two points. Firstly, let me say Tipperary were the better team, and Dublin were playing second fiddle uh, at one stage Dublin made a great fight back and got five or six points in a row um, there was a great um, sharing of the scores Conor Burke got two uh, Sean Curry from the Nafina Club and I was delighted to see him uh, get a run got two Fergal Wheatley came off the bench from Croaks he got three uh, Keen O'Sullivan from Bridget's he, he got 11 points and is really making uh, you know a really good spot for himself on that team but Dublin also have uh, Chris Crummy is back and you know he'll make a great centre back I know they played him in the forwards before he went to Australia uh, Owen O'Donnell was missing and so too was Donald Burke from the Nafina Club so you had the three of them in and I, I still like this Dara Purcell fella from Croaks as well who didn't play I think Dublin will be solid enough and from last weekend Reggie they were very poor they, they, they played um, Limerick they lost one thirty-five or 36 to one nine. Um, you know they, they just they only scored one nine. as I said Connor um uh, Cunning, he scored four points and Fred McCurry got a, a late goal there. So I, I do think Dublin will win it. I'm hoping Dublin will win it, Reggie. Um, but it, it is a big game for Dublin to make sure that they have a chance of staying in the top flight for next year. Which will be absolutely vital for them. Um, so it's going to be a tough one. OK, uh, Thurless on Sunday sees the meeting of two teams that in my house growing up always caused a stir with a tip father and a Galway mother. Tip taking on Galway. Uh, that should be a close one. It will be, and and I I think they're going to have two different approaches. I think Henry Shefflin's approach, if we take him first, I, I do believe, having watched Galway for the last couple of years uh, under Henry, that he'll need a, another back or two. He has young Grealish. I, I'm not too sure whether Garrod McInerney. He's not featuring on Sunday. I don't think he has Dahi Burke back at centre back and also Parik Mannion. He'll need another two forwards or two two backs to you know to be anyway near where Limerick are. He's also then he's blooding this Don Loche guy and and. and and he seems to like Jason Flynn and Tom Monaghan. He's going to have to unearth another two forwards as well 
because last year in the All-Ireland semi-final when, when Limerick really you know turned up the heat uh, the Galway forwards particularly Conor Whelan who was fantastic first half just couldn't get his hand on the ball and couldn't find space so he's trying to find that on the other side of this Liam Cahill made absolutely no doubts that in anybody's mind that he's after silverware this year he certainly came to town last week against Dublin they really went at it straight from the start um, you know they have Jake um, um, up front Jake Morris up front he got 1-4 um, uh, Gerard O'Connor got, got 13 points but Tip looked really sharp for a first league game away from home Reggie they scored 2-27 um, I'm expecting that, that Tip will probably beat Galway I think Henry's approach will be I'm not taking the league serious but what I am going to do I'm going to test these 3 or 4 or 5 players that I have my eye on in these key games and really kind of up it. So I'm expecting a cracker of a game in, in that uh, on Sunday as well. Looking forward to that one myself. Um, the other two games that probably go to form, we're looking at Wexford taking on Offaly and Westmead taking on Limerick. I, I'd agree with you Reggie, yeah. And, and I, I just think Keith Roster has come into Wexford, done a marvellous job so far, won the Walsh Cup, uh, went to Kilkenny last week. What I thought was amazing, they found themselves a goal down in the extra time, but they kept at it. Lee Chin was to the fore and, and uh, they got a very, very late goal. So I, I do expect them to take care of Offaly. The other one, um, look at Joe Fortune is doing a great job in, in Westmead but I, I just think that um, Limerick will just have too much for them you know Yeah Limerick are a real force uh, to be to be reckoned with there's no question about it and uh, yeah I, I can see what you're saying it's likely to go that way OK that's a lot of hurling on this week there's no football of course or, or ladies football on but if we um, look back at last week there was plenty of games on in both ladies and men's um, some key results Yeah certainly Reggie and take the ladies first it's it certainly uh, panning out to, to to turn into a really, really good league. For, firstly, from a Dublin point of view, it was great to see Mick Bohan's team get on the score sheet. They they they, they won away to, to Mayo and, and they were quite a bit down. They were seven or eight points down, but they did come back and, and win that. But the three teams that are, are heading the group, there's three wins, Kerry, Mead and Armagh. If I take Armagh first, um, we, we did fancy them to beat Galway and they did get over the line so so they're definitely putting their head above the pulpit there and saying look we're, we're here and we're serious about it uh, Mead we probably expected would, would beat Waterford and uh, Kerry had an absolutely comprehensive win um, over Cork in that game I think it was 2-14 to 1-6 uh, or 7 or something like that I just want to, to mention the, the Kerry goalie Reggie uh, Mary Ellen Bulger she's from the uh, Southern Gales Club uh, she lost her mother on, on the Saturday Reggie and went out and played with her county on, on uh, Monday which yeah. was some um, thing to do so just condolence to herself and, and her whole family on, on that Reggie you know Absolutely yeah and we uh, echo that um, yeah so in terms of uh, this uh, we and uh, and the, going forward with the ladies football um, you feeling the dubs are in good fettle? Well you look at he'll, he'll, he'll be delighted to have to get the two points under his belt that's mm. the first thing uh, he has uh, Galway up next at home in Parnell Park he'll kind of fancy himself to, to win that uh, he has a couple of players coming back so uh, you know, like if if Desi Farrell could take a leaf out of his book now and try and get a result on the the men's football side, Reggie uh, Dublin were we'll talk cover Dublin first. They were beaten um, again in both games against Monaghan. Uh, I thought they played well and conceded a point to lose the game when they could conceivably have won it. They they were in possession with time up and Brian Fenton got turned over uh, last Sunday again uh, or Saturday night. 
uh, they got in to the score zone and, and uh, didn't convert and Mayo came down and got a free and I thought Dublin took their eye off the ball it was a very difficult free Reggie mm. but Bax didn't mark up and he played a ball square to someone dead straight in front of the post who, who nailed it for Mayo mm. but good luck to Mayo I mean there, there are two points and, and, and let me cover uh, Mayo to be fair um, were they the better team on the night? Probably not but were they the better team when it really mattered? Yes they were the second team that we really have to keep an eye on in the football uh, and I spoke to Brian Talty yesterday he, he'll be covering all of the, the league games next week in, in the football um, but, but Derry are after winning yeah, away Derry, to Kerry yeah, and, and it is a big win but they also wait to Kerry but they also beat Tyrone and then if you look at what Kerry came out and did to Monaghan yeah. they blitzed them on, on Sunday so the fu- a bit surprising because Monaghan you know have been coming of age there for a while so. Oh absolutely and as I said they, they, they beat Dublin in Crow Park yeah. the week before and you'd yeah. be saying Kerry going up to Monaghan you know you'd say you'd be a tough one I kind of half expected Monaghan to get over the line but Mm. look at maybe they just didn't come down off the cloud they were on after beating Dublin I don't know but you know yourself if you're playing Kerry Ritchie you you need every player playing well and anybody that comes in plays better yeah yeah. and Kerry I I read Jack O'Shea's piece like he's not taking the league serious but but he didn't say that I'll tell you one thing lads I I won't be in the relegation I'll be mid-table I'll win my couple of home games and when I want to test my boys I'll I'll equally do that and, and he certainly did on Sunday I don't believe for one minute they're not taking the league seriously that's a line that's thrown out there but when it comes down to it they want the league the same as everybody else does um, and, and that's a fact and don't don't ever kid yourself and think that's not the case uh, ok uh, Sean as always absolutely fantastic coverage there loads and loads going on this weekend some fantastic hurling um, to look forward to some great clashes in there uh, as we mentioned the likes of Goey versus Tip and uh, uh, Cork and Kilkenny and then even to Dublin under a little bit of pressure with that Antrim game so it'll be, it'll be a great weekend of sport really really looking forward to it thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself Ken and Reggie have a good weekend <laughs>